We're going to uh, continue our study this morning from the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. So if you would, please stand with me as I read. The scriptures say, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of God for the people of God, and the people of God said, praise be to God. Please be seated. Father, take this time we have this morning as we look at your word. Very practical passage uh, that you've given us this morning to take a look at and study. We pray, God, that as we look at this uh, today, that your word, as you've sent it, will not return void. God, I do believe that uh, this morning there are those among us, including myself, who need to see this, who, who need to hear this, who need to implement these truths into their lives. And so God, take your Holy Spirit, use your Holy Spirit to apply that which we learn so that we can walk away from this morning uh, with wisdom and understanding from your word. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning tells us that um, tells us what to do as believers. It says that we are to look carefully how we walk. It tells us how we're supposed to do that. It gives us three things we're supposed to do, and it gives us a warning as to why we should do these things. So let's take a, uh, a look for a second just at the walk. Walk carefully. The opening of our verse says, "Look." Look carefully, then, how you walk. Now, if you've been here for the last few weeks and have been listening, uh, this isn't the first time that you've seen that word walk. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we're told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then in Ephesians verses uh, 4, 17, it says, we are no longer to walk in the futility of our minds. Then in Ephesians 5, 2, it tells us that we're to walk in love. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says we're to walk as children of the light. And now in Ephesians verse 15, it tells us that we are to walk carefully. To walk carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. Now when we use the word walk in the scriptures, the way Paul is using the word walk is basically synonymous with the word live. Live carefully. Practice life carefully. Live out your life precisely. He says we're to look, to open our eyes, to see to give life our undivided attention, to be certain, to listen for all we're worth. You know, as we uh, get into this passage a little bit, we're going to talk about wise and unwise. And one of the books that, that uh, the Bible that you think about, that I often think about when I'm thinking about wisdom, is the book of Proverbs, right? But the key word in the book of Proverbs is, I don't think it's wisdom. I think it's the word listen. 
which again is a lot like, look, pay attention. You know how mothers get with their children sometimes when they're giving them instruction and they have to grab them by the face and turn their face to them and say, now listen to me. Listen with your eyes, listen with your heart, listen with your mind, pay attention to what I'm telling you. That's what Paul is telling us here in this passage. Listen, look, be careful how you walk, precisely. You know, um, since this is a, a uh, passage that deals with the word walk, we had, a, I guess, a hiking uh, mission moment just a minute ago where Wes and, and uh, Ben were so kind to show us that beautiful scene from Columbia that they'd hiked this mountain. Uh, it reminds me of a time when I was hiking in the Smoky Mountains. And uh, I like to hike. My wife and I like to hike. Well, I like to hike. She likes to be with me, so she comes. Um, but we were, we were in the Smoky Mountains a couple of years ago. We, we had gone up there to hike uh, a mountain that I had never hiked, LeConte. It's a... Uh, the highest mountain east of the Rockies from the base to the top of the mountain, it's about 5,500 feet. It's actually at an elevation of about 6,600 feet, and it's about 11 or 12 miles round trip on the hike. And I had taken my, uh, my daughter and her husband with us. She was, I think, eight weeks pregnant at the time. We found out on the trip. It was a great trip to, to go on. And, but we were excited about hiking this mountain in the Smokies, it was in the fall. We'd stayed in towns, and in, uh, if you know anything about the Smokies, it's a beautiful place to be. Uh, reading about the hike, if you read about the hike, you'll find out there's a hotel at the top of this mountain, and it's a strenuous hike. It's a, it's a long hike, and you have to be uh, in decent shape. I won't say great shape because I'm not in great shape, but you have to be in decent shape. You have to be able to walk and uh, chew gum at the same time I was qualified. So I, I, uh, we start this hike, and we get to, uh, we're taking the, the Alum Cave Trail, uh, to the top of this mountain, and uh, we get to the, the cave itself, which is about halfway up, uh, and, and the trail divides, and we just kept walking up the right side of that, that trail. And I had read somewhere where the tr it was going to be a difficult hike to some extent, and, and uh, believe me, it started getting very difficult. In fact, it got so difficult that it didn't even look like we were on a trail. Uh, we were literally on our hands and knees crawling up the side of a mountain. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a persister. Um, and uh, uh, even though my daughter and my wife were, were telling me we were on the wrong trail, uh, I knew we weren't. And I knew that just above the next ridge, which was about 200 yards ahead of us, that we were going to hit the right trail and we were just going to kind of gut our way through it and get up there. Well, that didn't work. Uh, they were screaming and yell at, yelling at me, and we were kind of going back and forth in our vacation. You know how it is when you take vacations with kids? We're going to have a great time, I promise you, and halfway out the driveway, you're fighting. And Well, this is one of those side-of-the-mountain fights uh, that my daughter and my wife put, put their foots down, put their feet down, and we headed back down in shame, back toward Alum Cave, and guess what? We had taken the, the wrong trail. I got a picture of it. Uh, basically, here's your sign, if you know what I mean. Uh, we went right instead of left and came back and got on the right path. And you know, as I think about this passage of Scripture where it says to look carefully, to be careful how you walk, God gives us a path to walk on. And He gives us a map for that path. And... <laughs> And that map is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And there are times when we stray from God's design 
for the path that we're supposed to be walking on. And when that happens, what happens? Life can get hard, can it? Life can get tough. We can be on our hands and knees crawling. And we can be stubborn about it and stay on that path and keep trying to make any type of effort to go forward is going to be difficult until we do what? We get back on the right path. And so one of the things I learned about this as I was hiking was uh, uh, God is like uh, the signs along, he gives us signs along the way, his word. He brings his word to us to help us to be wise. And so Paul says, look carefully how you walk, walk wisely. So let's talk about walking wisely and walking unwisely. Wisdom is something that's talked about in the Bible. The word wise is used throughout the Bible. This particular word wisdom and wisely is, uh, is, is consistent and synonymous with being a Christian. If you uh, go to the first, uh, first chapter of the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul in that chapter contrasts worldly wisdom and, and God's wisdom. God's wisdom at times looks like foolishness, but it's not. Oftentimes, God's wisdom is counterintuitive, like he tells us the least shall be the greatest, and you can't live unless you die, and you'll never get everything in life until you're willing to give up everything you ever wanted. And if you can do those things and surrender to the Lord and give your life over to him and see the foolishness of the cross as something that God's done for us, he gives to us, then God, along with the grace for our salvation, gives us wisdom. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Wisdom is a lot more than just knowing something. Uh, knowledge does not necessarily include wisdom, but wisdom always includes knowledge. Just because you're a good attorney doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good judge. Just because you're a great classroom instructor doesn't necessarily mean you'd be a great surgeon. Just because you know how to shoot a gun doesn't know you'll know when to shoot a gun. Those are the difference. That's the difference between knowing something and wisdom. Uh, wisdom is more than just a gut feeling or an instinct. And uh, Paul in this passage can contrast being wise versus being unwise. And so here in a biblical sense, uh, we know that uh, foolish people, unwise people, uh, they say in their heart there is no God. The scriptures teach that wisdom begins with the fear of God understanding that there is a God. And so in this particular passage, Paul reminds us, walk wisely. Remember to fear the Lord, to follow his instruction, to listen and to look at the path he gives us with the guidelines he gives us through his word. I'm going to give you some characteristics of what I think foolish people do. Foolish people are governed by their feelings and not by reason. They feel something. They don't think about what they're doing. They don't listen to the signs. They don't read the signs. They just go on their impulses. Foolish people are governed by their desires. They want what they want. They want it when they want it. And when they have those desires, we know how that always ends up. Satan brings along some type of temptation that meets their desire, which leads to sin and death. Foolish people are driven by selfishness and envy. James 3 tells us that wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, 
It's considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Foolish people are governed by the moment and not eternity. And that's a, that's a big one. I heard someone say one time that you should, ne- you should never sacrifice the permanent for the sake of the immediate. Foolish people have a mindset that's not eternal. It's present tense. It's what they desire. It's what they see. It's what they feel. And so they're governed not through the light or lens of eternity. They're governed through the moment, what they, what they want. Foolishness is often defined by lack of contentment or gratefulness and gratitude and stability. And I think that's a big one. When you look at foolish people, a lot of times you'll see instability running throughout their life. In fact, that's what uh, Psalm 1 says. It says that, uh, that the foolish people, those who reject God, are unstable. They're like the shaft which the wind drives away. There's no stability in their lives because they're not anchored to any principles found in the Scriptures. You know, I've often said that when a wise person talks, he has something to say. When you're in a room and you're with somebody who's wise and they begin to talk, it seems like everybody listens to what they have to say. Why? Because they're not just talking to hear themselves talk. They're talking to make a contribution from the wisdom that God has given them. And so you listen to that. That type person thinks with a mind that's been transformed. Now, here's the good news. Wisdom is given to all believers. Every one of us, when we're regenerated by God, trans, it has, we've been given a mind that's been, that's been renewed and made new. I didn't change my mind. God changed my mind. God gave me a different mind. I don't have that same old mind that I used to have. I have a brand new mind. The type of mind that's described by God in the scriptures where he says that we are new creations. And so there's a new principle that lives in me as a believer. So wisdom, again, according to the scriptures, is more than just knowing some things and having some intellectual assent. It's actually having a mind that's, that's been transformed by God, and now my mind is capable of understanding truth where before it couldn't understand truth. And that's what, talk, what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, about the wisdom that God gives us and the transforming of our mind. He begins to talk about that in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where we're to, we're to have a mind that's being trained and transformed and renewed daily by God's Word. And so my mind, because of what God has done, has been renewed. Your mind as a believer, you have a brand new mind. And so when you begin to read the scriptures now, the scriptures can make sense. You know, I've talked to people occasionally who, uh, who aren't believers, and they'll tell me that they, as they read the Word of God, they can't understand the Word of God. It makes no sense to them. It's just a bunch of words that are jumbled up. And it's interesting to see that quite often when that person becomes a believer, how that mind now can understand God's Word because it's been renewed, it's been regenerated. And secondly, we can understand God's Word as believers now because God has sealed us with His Holy Spirit. You know, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that God sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. There are some things that God promises us uh, with to us uh, as He sends His Spirit. If you look at John, 
chapter 14 through 16, Jesus talks about this, this Holy Spirit, this helper that he's going to send, that's going to enable us. He's going to give us power. But he says he's going to do these things as well. He says the Holy Spirit in verse 14, 15 to 17, dwells in us forever. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We're told in 1426 that the Holy Spirit will teach us. He'll instruct us. He'll bring into remembrance the things that we have learned. Learned from where? Learned from God's word. The truth we see in God's word. We're told in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. And so when we talk about wisdom from a biblical, biblical perspective, we're talking about this ability to learn God's truth, to know God's truth, and to apply God's truth. Paul writes to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so hear me, Harvest Church, brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul says, look, be careful how you walk, be wise, he's reminding us not to be distracted by the things that are unwise. And what's unwise? You can go back to chapter 4 and look at what's, what's unwise. The things that are of this world. There's a whole system that's been developed to compete with the wisdom of God. And it's put right in front of us, side by side, and we have to make choices. Am I going to lean into God's wisdom, which at times seems counterintuitive, which at times we don't understand completely because it's not fully revealed completely? Are we going to trust in that and put our hope in that and lean, lean fully into that, pay attention to it, or are we going to walk unwisely by disregarding God's Word and the prompting of the Spirit of God which He has placed in us and sealed us with? That's the difference between being unwise and being wise. Paul goes on to say that we do this, we walk carefully by being wise. We also walk carefully by what? By redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Literally means it's an economic term that means that we, uh, we're um, investing our time. How are we investing our time? And there's a difference. Are you living life spending your time? Or are you living life investing your time? And so if we were going to use some type of metaphor illustration from economics, we would think about uh, how we're trying to make money with our money. You know, wise people will do what? They'd save money. And they save money and uh, they try to get the best interest rate they can on that return. Now, a lot of us have seen that interest rate dip over the last month or two. Uh, our retirement accounts aren't what they used to be, and that's okay. God's in control, right? But we take that money, what we work for, what, our, what we're rewarded with through our work, one of the things at least is we're paid to do what we do. 
And we want to take that money and we want to save it and we want to do the be good stewards with that. And so we invest it. And we hope that we get the best interest rates that we can. And we hope that money grows. We hope we don't spend it all. We hope that we actually have an investment. We save some. Our lives as Christians need to be thought of in exactly the same way, except with greater emphasis and priority. We are making investments with our lives and the time that God has given us. What are we doing with our time? How do we live our lives? Are we being careful and paying attention to the usage of our time? You know, I look at life and I think from a, from a perspective of eternity, if you take a look at what God, where we're all going to end up at some point, standing before the throne of God, I think looking back, we're going to look back and, and God's going to kind of have a picture of us and how we, what we did with the time that we had. And at that point, it's too late to go, go back and do anything about it. So what I do quite often is kind of take a backward view of my life, what I'm the, looking at life from the end to where I am now and going, what do I want to do before I stand before God and give account for what I've done with my time. How am I going to use my time wisely? You know, I remember uh, a few years ago, I went through a very dark period of my life. And I would tell you that time, that dark period of my life lasted for about 15 years. 15 years. And in that 15 years of my life and the darkness that I was in, I can tell you right now, I was not making good use of my time. And I was completely discouraged with my life because I knew I wasn't where God wanted me to be. But like a lot of us, I didn't ever think that there was any hope that I could ever be where God wanted me to be again. And through a period of 15 years of walking in this, like I was sleepwalking almost, and not being in a place where I felt productive or I didn't feel like I was redeeming the time. I thought I was just passing time. God came and gave me another chance. And I learned a lot about the gospel through that time and what God does in our lives. And I believe there are a lot of people in the same position. That you look at life, and I'm going to read a passage from Romans chapter um, 13 says this. Uh, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. This is Romans 13, 11 through 13. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. All right, Paul's telling the church at Romans, just like I was in this sleepwalking state, passing time, spending time, wasting time, thinking God couldn't use me, being unproductive, thinking I had blown it all, my life was over, sleepwalking. God said, wake up from the sleep. Your salvation, salvation is nearer to us now than when you first believed. In other words, I believed at age 14. I became a believer at age 14. I'm 64 years old. I've been a believer for 50 years of my life. 50 years of my life, I've been walking with Christ. But there was 15 years of my life. So I'm not, I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been. Been. I mean, in terms of I'm going to see him, 
a lot sooner than I was at 40, you know, 50 years ago. I'm moving toward eternity. Salvation is nearer. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Lay them aside. Put them aside. Put on the armor of light. And walk properly, properly like it's daytime. In other words, open your eyes. Walk in the light. You don't have to be stuck in that sleepwalking state. Walk as wise, not the unwise. Make the most of your time. God can use you. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He takes a crooked stick and he hits something straight with it. We're all broken. We all need a savior. It's almost too good to be true. He's not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance and another chance and another chance. And he loves you and he wants you to wake up. He wants to use you just like you are. He wants you to walk in truth, following his word. And I don't care what mistakes you've made or how many, how many times you've been off the path. It's not too late to get on the path and to start living your life in a way that's productive, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And we don't, you don't have to be a brain surgeon to look around and go, we live in an evil world. It's all around us. And if we could see it spiritually, with spiritual eyes, we'd see how dangerous it was. We'd pay attention. You know, um, another opportunity I had a few years ago was to, uh, to um, go to Zion National Park. And uh, I would encourage you to go. If you can, go. It's amazing, like nothing you've ever seen. Spectacular. And one of the things that I wanted to do when I got to Zion was to uh, hike Angel's Landing. Okay, it's named Angel's Landing because only angels can get up to the top. It's, it's, you have to literally kind of fly in and, and land on top of it. It's, it's, it's crazy. And so I thought, I want to hike this. I want to do this. And I remember watching videos on YouTube. I don't recommend it if you're going. I don't recommend it. I thought, good night. That's crazy. These people are nuts. They're taking their life into their own hands, walking up there. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so I, I convinced my wife it was going to be all right. In spite of her parents' you know, warnings, you know, we went. And uh, we got to Angel's Landing. And uh, this is a picture of Angel's Landing, so you can have some context. You see that thing behind us there? That's Angel's Landing, straight up that spine to the top of that mountain. You can't see it, but it's a very narrow path that goes up that mountain. And, uh, and as we're going up this mountain, you know, um, you get up there, you can kind of see it's a narrow trail with steep drops. Um, there's my wife. Uh, I'm the I'm the foolish person with the camera. Uh, she's the one walking, and look look what she's doing. Okay, what is she doing? She's paying attention, right? She's looking at every step she takes. She's got one hand on that chain over there. Okay, why is she doing that? Why is she doing that? She's doing it because you can see how steep it is on the other side of that that chain. You can see that there is danger everywhere in that picture. Our life is like that, folks, as believers. If God could open our eyes right now to see the spiritual world that we're operating in, we'd be paying attention, looking at every step that we take. Everything would matter. Because in one click of a button, you can be somewhere you don't want to be. 
on the internet. In one bad decision, you can be down the road so far thinking you'll never get back. It only takes the blink of an eye for Satan to lead us to destruction and ruin if we don't look carefully. Now lastly, what I want to say to you is, he says, the days are evil, so understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand God's will. Folks, it's paramount, it's of utmost importance that we as Christ followers really know the Word of God, that we understand the Word of God. Because I believe with all my heart that the will of God is revealed through the Word of God. If you want to know the will of God, you've got to know the Word of God and be in the Word of God. There's no shortcut for it. No shortcut for it. You know, so as you think about God's Word, uh, when I think about it, I kind of put it in two big categories. Uh, I look at God's Word from, uh, in two categories. The first category would be there's the, uh, the sovereign will of God. Okay, some people call it the, the, the mysterious will of God. There are things that God does there's no explanation for. He does them. He doesn't share why He does them with us necessarily. You know, I'm sure Job would have liked to have known that, that, was, that there was something going on in heaven, right? But God never went to Job and said, here's what's going to happen, this is going to, we're going to do. Hang in there, it's going to be all right. Job never knows what's going on. Joseph, when he's sold into slavery and, and is uh, uh, sent to the jail, prison because of all that happened there, he doesn't know what God's doing. He doesn't know what God's doing until the very end in Genesis chapter 50. Verse 20, some people call it 50-20 vision, where, God, where Joseph kind of says, hey, you guys all meant this for evil. God meant this for good. He worked something good. It's the equivalent of, 820, of, of, of Romans 8.28, that God works all things to the good, to them that love him or are called according to his purpose. But his, will, his, his sovereign will, there's mystery in it. There's mystery in it. And so in, 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 uh, in God's sovereign will, uh, he does things, and there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, it says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. The will of God is God's sovereign governance of everything that comes to pass. That's why when I look at the world and the condition it's in, and I see everything happening all around the world, you know, it's troubling. If I start looking at that, I take my eyes off God's will and who he is and his character and know that he holds all things in his hands, then I could be paralyzed. I could live in fear. I could just almost crawl up in a fetal tuck and hide. But I know God's in control. I've read the end of the book. I know how this all ends. And God, that's God's sovereign will. He's going to, he's going to move everything toward his outcome, the thing that he's trying to achieve. And so we can trust him. We can lean in that. Even though we don't know it, he doesn't reveal to it, reveal it necessarily to us, we put our faith and our hope in that, that God's doing something that's bigger than all of us. But then there's the moral will of God. And when people say, I wish I knew the will of God on this, 
I would say that most of the time what they're referring to is the moral will of God, and you can know that God's will as it relates to his moral will. You know that through God's word. And there's three stages, I think, to understanding God's moral will for your life. The first stage would be to know it. Because there's no shortcut. All right, no shortcut for knowing God's word. You know, um, for instance, I, uh, when I was younger, um, <laughs> I remember coming home from college and I thought I'd lost my salvation because my thoughts were not where they should have been. It was like, good grief, you know, this is crazy to be in this world. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? Well, the only, way, only thing you can do with thoughts is to replace a thought with another thought, right? You know, if you try not to think about something, what do you do? You think about it. And so I needed, my mind needed renewal. So what did I need to do? I wanted to memorize something. So to, to, to hide God's word in my heart, the scripture says, so I went to Psalm 119, about 10 through 12. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can he cleanse his way? The scriptures say, by taking heed thereto. This is King James Version because I was young. There, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. In other words, paying attention to your word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay, Psalm 1, a great passage to think through. There's a contrast there between foolish and non-foolish, between those who are followers of... And by the way, there's only two categories of people out there. You think wise, foolish, Christians, non-Christians. That's what we're talking about, Christians, non-Christians. That's all we have in the world today, Christians and non-Christians. The wise fear God. The wise have put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ. Psalm 1 is a contrast there. And one of the things that wise men do is they take God's word and they meditate on it how often? Day and night. And the promise is when you do that, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, which bringeth forth its fruit in its season and its leaf won't wither. There's stability there. And God wants our, he wants us to be transformed in our minds. He talks about that. There's an engagement on our part to get into God's word, to know it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, to let it be a part of who we are. And that's why we offer up so many opportunities here at Harvest to learn God's word, to be in God's word, to be impacted by God's word. Because God's word's eternal. And I tell you this, at just the right time, God brings his word to mind. He brings it to your mind. There's a passage that talks about temptation. It talks about temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says, you know, it says that we're basically, when we're tempted, you know, God's not going to be tempted above that which we're able to stand, but will, with the temptation, bring a way of escape. And if you look at the way Jesus was tempted in the New Testament, what happened every time he was tempted? He responded to the tempter with the word of God because he knew the word of God. And secondly, in understanding God's moral will, know the word of God. The second part of that is to apply the word of God. Not just to know it, but to bring to apply it into your life. Understanding God's will is knowing God's word and not just knowing it, but applying it into your life. You know, I've, I've, I've been through seasons of my life when I was not 
applying God's word into my life. And my life was dry. There was no stability. Purpose was, was missing. Depression comes in. All these things. Because I was not even trying to apply it into my life. I kind of gave up. That's, that's, that's what Satan would have you do, is to quit. The gospel says, no, don't do that. I love you, my child, and you're forgiven. God sent his son to die for us. He loved us. He died for us. Our sins were born in his body on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's an application part of that. The Bible does not tell you, uh, it's not going to tell you which person to marry. It's not going to tell you uh, what kind of car to drive. It's not going to tell you whether you should own a home or not, where you should take your vacation, what cell phone plan you should buy, what brand of orange juice to get at the store. There's about a thousand other choices you make in life that don't, you don't have, you don't have to pray over. I mean, God gives us, you know, as you hide God's word in your heart and you begin applying it, it becomes part of who you are. There are principles that you learn through the scriptures and precepts. And it's, you know, my, my parents were, were, were uh, you know, it was a blessing to have parents uh, who would have the word of God out and read it and study it. And, and my parents were big into precept back in the day. And I thought, man, that's tough. Hours and hours of Bible study. Why? Because like Isaiah says, it's precept upon precept, line upon line. Slow and steady wins the race when it comes to the input of God's word and allowing God's word to work out through us so that some of these decisions become secondhand. They're easy to make because they're all within the guidelines and precepts that God gives us in his word. So knowing God's word, applying God's word is the second thing, and then living in it, just living in it, living in it so much that it just flows from you. You know, uh, you, you call uh, uh, God, God's, God's commands, he commands us not to be angry, okay? How, do you, how, do you, how does that work? You know, when he says, don't be prideful, what, what do you do? Do you have to really, you know, is there something that you do that, uh, uh, that's outside of yourself on that? No, those are things internally that you're struggling against. But you know these things internally. I can't, I'm not going to be prideful. I'm not going to be angry. When I am, I, I'm convicted about it. Because I'm living these things out that God's put, put inside of me. Give yourself to this. Immerse yourself in it. The written word of God saturates your mind with it. And when you do these things, that's understanding the will of God. Okay, so what do we do? We look around, we walk carefully. How do we do this? We do it wisely. We do it by redeeming the time. We do it by understanding God's will. And the reason we do it is because time is short and the days are evil. Father, thank you for your word. We're grateful, Father, for all you've done in our lives. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, from your, for your reminder from Ephesians chapter 5, of being careful how we walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of our time for the days were evil. So then don't be foolish, God. Help us not to be fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
Father, I'm thankful for the redemption plan that you gave us. I'm thankful for your grace and salvation. I'm thankful that you give us another chance and another chance because your forgiveness and mercy is great. So, Lord, we lean into you and we pray that your, your people this morning would be people who walk in the light, the truth. Lord, where we have strayed off the path, I pray, God, that we would repent and turn back. God, where we're not looking at the dangers and walking carelessly, help us to see the reality of the dangers that we fight against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And Father, where we've strayed from your will and your word, get us back into it. Thank you, God, for all you've given us in Christ's name. Amen.